on today's show. The San Diego Padres losing Bob Melvin to the rival San Francisco Giants shocked the baseball world, and they still don't have a manager. So ranking my least to most favorite candidates to replace him, as well as a little bit of a an A.J. Preller trade, the much maligned GM that he made over the weekend, and a little bit of pushback against the Blake Snell naysayers. Let's get into it. You are locked on Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for Monday, November 20th, Thanksgiving week for a lot of folks out there. As always, I'm your host with sometimes, occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. You can follow me on Twitter at Javipeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O. Haven't always been talking about baseball on there except for a couple jokes like about Carissa Thompson and how we're going to get Otani. Uh, Other than that, don't worry though. There's an all Padres account too, at LO underscore Padres. And if you want to see whatever I'm rocking fit-wise, which is just one of my favorite hoodies that just is a yellow hoodie that says Daydreamer. I don't know why I like it so much. And little bobbleheads and whatnot. If you want your podcast on YouTube, Locked On Padres is where you go. Today's episode, guys, is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. And to get started with today's episode, guys, we got we got no time to waste. We're fitting a bunch of different topics today. We're going to be ranking my least to most favorite. I don't know what the terminology, I don't know what the right verbiage is. My 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 most preferred candidates for the Padres' new manager position, starting from lowest to highest. Just talking really quickly about them because, frankly, I think manager is a little bit weird. Um, I think it's a hard position to know exactly what you need. I think that it's easy to point out what you don't want out of a manager, but more importantly, I think that the number one thing with this conversation about manager for me has been how the heck is AJ Preller like still here and whatnot. And not to like make light of the situation, but you know, Peter Seidler's passing, I'm wondering like, you know, Seidler was such a huge fan of AJ Preller's that part of me wonders like, is the people taking over now going to be like, let's let's trust this guy too? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't know how that whole thing's going to shake up. Maybe Preller's on this hot seat. Maybe he's not. I th- actually think he made a pretty good move this weekend. But um, in terms of the manager search, I think that the biggest story about this hasn't been about who, but the fact that it's crazy that Preller is still in a position where he's on his sixth manager hire now. And people are wondering, oh, well, who's can this next guy do well? You brought in a three-time manager of the year, and apparently it's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's it's just that he keeps picking the, the wrong guys. You know what I mean? It's like, no, it's, it's probably not A.J. Preller. But um, there's a lot of candidates uh, for this position. And frankly, it's a little surprising, just a little bit, that the Padres haven't. Because I'd say out of the remaining teams, the Marlins being another one, um, you'd think that the Padres would fill up that position possibly the fastest, uh, at least in my opinion. Um, just because of all the talent there, all the superstars there, all the resources there, the the, the increase in spending. I know that it's, it's going down this offseason, but just overall going from like a 60 million payroll from the most of the 2000s and then most of the 2010s uh, to 200 million is pretty nuts. And I think that most people want to jump aboard that. Um, but granted, also with Peter Seidler's passing, I imagine that that's part of the reason why we haven't gotten an announcement just yet. There was a report from... 
Kevin AC from the San Diego Tribune, I believe, mentioning that um, it's it was likely to be put on hold, uh, the finding of the new manager after Peter Seidler's passing. And also, in terms of this week, um, it's expected, it's expected that the new manager will be announced um, before Thanksgiving, uh, which makes a lot of sense before the holiday break, I imagine that. So by the time you guys hear this podcast, it might even be possible that a new manager has been announced. We'll have to see. So I'm going to only quickly run through from least to most my preferred uh, manager candidates for the Padres. And I don't know a lot of inside info on this and whatnot, but we're just going to talk about my initial vibe, not going through too much in the details. I don't know manager styles as much as everybody else. You can check baseball reference for that. They've got good statistics on that. Um, but yeah, so let's uh, let's get into it. Let's get into it. And of course, some fun stuff at the at the end. My least preferred free agent. I'm, I'm sorry, manager, not free agent, manager to manage the San Diego Padre. And this is, by the way, based on who has been rumored the most, at least from my perspective, my point of view. Um, my least favorite would be Ryan Flaherty. Um, and I've made no secret about this. Ryan Flaherty, to me, is just another classic A.J. Preller hire. This is a guy who would be the youngest manager in the majors if he were to be hired for the position. And more importantly, I think in this situation, is probably friends with Manny Machado. They were teammates back in Baltimore, and those were good days, uh, in fairness, with the Orioles. Um, it wasn't necessarily Ryan Flaherty doing it. He was just kind of like a role bench player. Nothing wrong with that. But that's kind of what his position was. This isn't a superstar caliber player. And I'm not saying, by the way, that to be a great manager, you have to be a superstar caliber player. Look at Joe Girardi of the Yankees. That guy wasn't all that amazing. Jorge Posada, Puerto Rican power, came in and replaced him. And they, he, he was great, and then Joe Girardi was a pretty good manager. They won a championship, right? So that's not all. Um, that's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm just saying that in general, um, that the attention that Ryan Flaherty is is garnering um, is mostly has to do with the fact that he was teammates with Manny Machado um, in Baltimore. At least that's what it feels like. And Preller, of course, which is a good thing, uh, likes to pay attention to his players and you know want to accommodate them and whatnot. That's what seems to be widely reported and discussed, which is fine, but. You know, you know how you accommodated Manny Machado by giving him that big extension. I think that the 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 your part in this is over now. Manny's got to play. He's got to show up and do well. Obviously, you still pay attention to him and listen to what he says. But for me, my issue is it would be the youngest manager in the league, not a lot of experience, and most importantly, as the Padres guy, this would be an in-house hire, which reportedly is what they prefer, which is why I think he's one of the top candidates potentially. I just don't understand how a guy who was one of your offensive bench coaches. After what we saw in on offense last year, and frankly, what we've seen the past few years, where everybody who comes to the Padres um, doesn't get better, they either stay the same or get worse. I've mentioned this a thousand times, but it's it needs to be said again. Um, so that's my thing with him. So he'd be my least favorite of the bunch because it just feels like another classic Preller. This sounds a little bit harsh, but a little bit of a a figurehead, a little bit of an extension of the front office given his youth and given the fact that he has the ties to Manny Machado and given that just in his role, it's not like we saw massive success there. So that's just me, but what do I know? Uh, my next manager in line, I'd say for the Padres, is a little is is one that I actually think is quite intriguing and I'm not quite as down on him as other people. And that's Phil Nevin, uh, formerly of the Los Angeles Angels, of course. Well, Wait, hold on. Is he still with the Angels? I think he is. Uh, Phil Nevin with the Angels. Um, here's the thing. He very famously made some mistakes, uh, I think, when he was a bench coach for the um, the Yankees. I think he told Anthony Rizzo to go from third base. It was some crazy. Just look up, like, Phil Nevin waves 
uh, someone to go in. And it wasn't it wasn't a good call. Like you should have held up the runner. I don't know why you told him to go. It was easily thrown out. And I think it was a big game too. I think it was like a playoff game, um, if I'm not mistaken. So there's that. And then also his record with the Angels, not the best. In 2022, 46 and 60. Um, 2022 also being a season where they significantly like completely collapsed. Um, for those who don't remember, remember when Joe Madden used to be the manager of that team? Taking over, not doing much, um, I think, for the Angels. And granted, I think that that organization has a lot of troubles, clearly. This is not the only manager to fail with the Angels, you know what I'm saying? Like, So when that happens, you have to take that into context where it's like, maybe it's the organization and not necessarily Phil Nevin. Right? Just I mean, if you're looking at this from that perspective, it's the same theory I always have about, let's say, football. Where everyone keeps saying, like, how do the Browns keep missing on quarterback? I mean, another bust for the Browns. Another bust for the Jets. Don't y'all think that by now, through sake of regression to the average, that one of these picks would make sense? You think one of these managers would make sense at one point? At some point, when everyone keeps failing for your team, it's probably organizational, general manager, ownership, all that stuff. At least that's just me. Um so I, I'm not going to totally rip Phil Nevin, but that being said, I don't think that he's shown anything in the manager role that makes me say, yes, that is the guy. What I do like is the ties to the Padres, right? Uh, former Padre is always really cool, and I know that like uh, one of my closest friends, he actually, I think, met Phil Nevin and said like he was the nicest guy when he was a kid and when he was in San Diego, so love that. Um, and I do think that, that there comes a certain amount of um, respect, especially since you were with the organization. He'd be a little bit of a... Uh, almost like a, um, a community hero, dare I say. And that's what I had heard about him. My friend said he was really cool, with it, nice to his sister, and when she was going through some stuff, and they went to games together. So Phil Nevin also has like that stamp of approval from my um, point of view. And he was actually pretty successful with the Pirates. Finished 21st in MVP voting in uh, 2001. Um, so shouts to him. And he was also an all-star. So he had some good times in San Diego. So I like that, and I like that he could come in and be like, hey, I did something here, and that's at least something. And maybe you know, that will uh, pay dividends. I don't know for sure, but that's why he's not my least favorite of all the bunch, just because I do like a little bit of the the experience, and I like the fact that he has some success with the Padres, and he at least would be recognizable here. He was good there once upon a time. So not my favorite, certainly on the low list, obviously, but certainly some that I'm, someone that I'd be not... Um, it's not the worst, right? I think I really think that it's like Ryan Flaherty and whatnot. And again, worst situation... It's, it's number one thing that I'm bad at is the fact that Preller is on his sixth higher. Then number two would be Ryan Flaherty. Then number three would be Phil Nevin, if that makes any sense, guys. But uh, before we continue going, we've already talked a lot so far, guys. I need to take just a second to talk to you about our good friends from the top of the podcast. That is FanDuel. And here, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, football. You want to kick off your betting season? FanDuel is the place to go. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. And if you've been thinking about FanDuel, there's no better time to get on the action. They have spreads, they have player props, they've got over-unders, they've got much more. They've probably got a whole bunch of specific ones. I haven't checked just yet, but maybe there's probably something on the whole Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey thing tonight. Maybe they're like over-under times they pan the camera to her in the booth, I don't know. Uh, game of the year tonight though, I will say, I'm excited for that. My personal pick, I think I'm going with the Chiefs. I think I'm going with the Chiefs, and I think it's close. I think we might have a real good game here. I hope it doesn't disappoint. I'm going to be watching it for sure with a couple friends, and I'm amped. Can't wait for that one. 
Um, I just think at some point Eagles got to lose, right? They're eight and one. You know, they got eight and two. You know, they got to lose something, right? Um, so we'll see how that pans out, guys. But most importantly, remember, visit fanduel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season if you want to make that money line bet. And hate me if the Eagles end up winning. Feel free. Send me messages. I don't care. But what can I tell you is, number one, FanDuel has you covered with whatever option you want to go with. FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, official partner of the NFL. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Lockdown Padres podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves, as they always say. Go check us out at SiriusXM, all the platforms, all the Twitters. You know what it is. Let's keep talking, ladies and gentlemen. Let's keep talking. The next two candidates, the next two candidates, technically three, technically three. We got a bonus one at the end um, that I prefer. Um, the next one would be Benji Gill. Um, and Benji Gill is not someone that I think has the name recognition um, as many others. He's been lately rumored for the position. And I think that's one thing that's really fascinating about him is that the Padres have interviewed him reportedly. Anyway, he was set to to interview. Yeah, let me see. Um, yeah, they interviewed him. They said they could wrap up. And that was kind of like one of the last like updates we got. You know what I mean? Was the Benji Gill thing. And I've noticed a lot of baseball people Really intrigued by this one. And here's the thing with Benji Gill. Really successful in Mexico. Was really successful in the World Baseball Classic. And everyone on the Angels said as an infielders coach that everyone really respects him. And infield hasn't necessarily been the problem with the Angels. I think that they just have some really bad contracts there. Again, same. You know, if I'm going to defend Phil Nevin for bad organizational thing and I'm going to give Benji Gill a pass on that, then there you go. You know what I mean? Like that is a really weird organization. So it's hard to check in on all that stuff. But Benji Gill seems to get it all done. And I highly recommend that everyone go check out this um, athletic article. If you just type in Benji Gill, you'll probably find it if you just type in like that news tab um, on Google search. But he, um, it's just seems like everyone's like, this guy's ready for a chance. And unlike Orion Flaherty, at least there's experience here. In the sense of from, you know, in Mexico, winning three out of four years, I believe, is is the is his latest record. And number two, um, actually, like, successful at what he was doing. Like, he has a little bit more experience than Ryan Flaherty. Obviously, it's not necessarily Major League Baseball top line um, success. But I just kind of like that, well, this guy was also a manager elsewhere, and he, he was doing good stuff. And again, that athletic article, I really recommend everyone go check out. I don't know everything about the guy. I don't know what his tendencies would be, but it sounds like he's like really understands players. He was a journeyman sort of player. He played six major league seasons. He wasn't the most like, you know, incredible player in the world, but he seems to work really well with those kind of under the radar guys that aren't necessarily the stars and the ones that like he he's cool on them. They know what they're doing. I, you do your thing. I'll help out when it's needed, but I want to help like kind of the, in between the lines. The the sort of the. Um, outside the lines what's that what's the phrase uh the 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 you know the tertiary pieces and I think that that could be helpful for a Padres team that has often not gotten a lot out of its tertiary pieces with guys like Cronenworth with guy infield coach right maybe Jake Cronenworth can get some help from them right maybe guys like I mean, god forbid Matt Carpenter get some help maybe Trent Grisham a little bit whatever those kind of un- the under the radar the backbone not backbone the <laughs> The background characters, dare I say, for the San Diego Padres team that is filled with superstar A-listers, right? And you have this guy come in and has some experience with that. So it's an intriguing hire. And I like it. I like that everyone else likes it. So I'd be intrigued by it um, for sure. And um, yeah, 
That's basically it for my my guy Benji Gill. Uh, everybody go check out that athletic article. And then lastly, lastly, and also apparently the president of Mexico, <laughs> the president of Mexico uh, weighed in on the Padres search for manager and was, you know, hyping up Benji Gill, which is just so funny. So, you know what? I'm all for it. Why not? I love that. Um, number one, uh, and for me right now, would be Mike Schilt. Um, and it's really close. I think it's 1A, 1B between him and Benji Gill, and that's just personal preference. Mike Schilt, there's a couple things with him. Number one, um, Bob Nightingale, via him, as of late, this is the last report I heard, is that the Brewers are expected to make a run at him if he is not hired. Um, and it seems like since the Padres are one of the people that have been rumored, he's an in-house guy, which is what reports said that they prefer an in-house, like I already said, um, that potentially, you know, he could be the guy to fill in. And if he doesn't, the Brewers want him. So, you know, the Brewers, it's a team I make fun of quite a lot, right? But I think that it'd be interesting that if it's like, it's interesting that they want him. Now that team is rebuilding, so I don't know what that says. If they just want someone in there who has experience in the sense of like just helping us get through the season, or if they want someone who's good because they are rebuilding, right? They just, they, they non-tender Brandon Woodruff on Friday. So they're not going to be, and I understand to an extent, because you don't want to say pay a guy who's not going to be pitching for you next year, and then you have him as a free agent next year. But it's still kind of crazy you didn't get at least something out of him. So there's that. Um, and it's just that disaster of an organization right now with the Brewers. Um, so that would be intriguing. And then the other thing is Mike Schilt has a lot of experience, right? He led the Cardinals to three playoff appearances and took them to the NLCS in 2019. Yeah, they had the bad loss to, in quotes, bad loss to the Padres. And he was also fired by the Cardinals. Um, and I think that is interesting, though. With a guy who won manager of the year and a guy who has led the team to multiple playoff appearances, I make fun of the Cardinals a little bit because I think that's an organization that has gotten really comfortable resting on its laurels lately, where they were just thrilled with the Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado trades, just getting them for practically nothing. Obviously, that's great. But then the fact that they never coupled that with improving their pitching when there's been like it's been like seven, eight years now that they've been relying on random role starting pitchers to come in and kind of fill in the void for them and Adam Wainwright to not age. And then it finally happened this year, right? Like they have all of that happening, yet they just refuse to bring in a starting pitcher. So I do make fun of them for that. But overall, as an organization, they're usually pretty smart. So them firing someone, I do take a little bit um, into account. But for me, you bring in someone with experience, uh, guys on the team like superstars are going to, you know, kind of respect that. This is a guy who's been there. He's had playoff wins before. That must go a long way. So that's why I like Mike Schilt for. Um, it's close, though, between him and Gil. But I just think that either one of them, I will not be upset. If I hear Phil Nevin, I'll be like, eh, you know? And if I hear Ryan Flaherty, I'll be like, you got to be kidding me. And then if I hear anything else about A.J. Preller, then I'm going to be even more upset. If that guy makes it another season, guys, if somehow AJ Preller stays around for another manager hire, I will lose it. I will lose it. Like if worst case scenario, if like he f like Fried Flair, now I'm just like fan fictioning. Um, dare I say, like just making stuff up. But like if if it was Ryan Flaherty and then he got fired midway, like um, was it Andy Green or Bud Black? I think it was Bud Black that was fired midway. I could be getting that wrong. Um, and then he's still allowed to be the GM would be crazy. <laughs> That would be just crazy. Uh, it's just amazing. So for me, I like the fact that the Preller red flag tendency stuff seems least um, suitable with guys like Benji Gill and um, Mike Schilt to me. 
And what I mean by that is like guys he used to know from Texas, guys at home have a lot of experience, guys that have a I'm just an extension of the front office type of vibe. Um, so that's my personal preference for the next San Diego Padres new manager. We're probably going to hear about it soon, uh, and I'll react to it in full, but that's it for now. That's it for now, ladies and gentlemen. Very, very, very um, exciting stuff. I'm curious to see how that plays out. But before we get into my last two topics of the show, some quick hitters about Blake Snell and a nice little trade that the Padres made, we have to take a little bit of a second for a break from a word from our sponsors. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Lockdown Padres podcast. Go check us out on SiriusXM. Go check us out everywhere, whatever. You know what I mean? Whatever you want. Uh, just, just, just check us out. Go follow me on Twitter, whatever you please, ladies and gentlemen. Whatever you desire, we're here for you at Lockdown Padres. And I hope that you're having a wonderful day, a wonderful, hopefully, Thanksgiving week, whatever. Maybe you just have a little meal and call it a day, whatever it is. I hope you have a good week. I really do. <coughs> oh, God. I was going to do the dramatic pause and then speak, and then I coughed, of course. Anyway, last two things I want to talk about is the trade that was made um, on Friday. <coughs> um, the Padres traded en- um, Scott Barlow for Eniel De Los Santos. Um, um, and as written by Dennis Lynn, the pipeline, I think, kind of really... Um, uh, sums it up well. Padres reacquire Eniel De Los Santos amid a few payroll shedding moves. And reading from the article, the San Diego Padres on Friday shed close to 11 million in payroll, executing a swap of relievers while non-tendering a pair of veterans. Scott Barlow, projected by MLB trade rumors to earn 7.1 million in his final year before free agency, was traded to the Cleveland Guardians for Eniel De Los Santos, who stands to make about 1.2 million in his first arbitration eligible, uh, eligible season. Padres also cut loose lefty reliever Tim Hill for a projected 2.4 million salary, and who I once called a nepotism baby, Austin Nola for 2.35 million. That look, I mentioned before that I was a little bit like worried that they would bring him back, and you know, I don't want to say worried. I I I, I thought that it was possible that they bring him back and say you'll just be our backup now, and hey, he had the eye stuff last year. He'll be fine as a backup to Campisato, but they're not even doing that because they are cutting on payroll. And this is, yet again, evidence that that seems to be very legit, that they are cutting payroll. So anyone who was saying, oh, AC's a liar and, you know, San Diego Tribune, they don't know what they're talking about, media, fake news, whatever the lines that people like using these days. They, they went woke, whatever line that people want to use with this stuff. Uh, they, they seem to be substantiated by little moves like this. That being said, and reading this tweet from um, Too Many Mortons on Twitter, last two seasons, Scott Barlow, he's got a 1.9 F4, a 3.22 ERA, 3.52 FIP, 112 Stuff Plus, and Eniel De Los Santos has a 1.7 F4, 3.818 ERA, 3.10 FIP, and a 93 Stuff Plus. And as he said, both have exactly a 17 strikeout to walk ratio. Eniel enters first year of ARB and projected to make 1.2, while Barlow... 7.1 million, actually a sharp move by Preller. And I agree. Um, these are the type of moves that don't get reported a lot. And don't get me wrong, I am still in heavy beef with AJ Preller, right? Like, still got a lot of problems with what's going on there. But um, he sometimes doesn't get a lot of credit for these little moves that really make sense um, on their front. Obviously, at the trade deadline, those moves that end up working. But I still liked what they did with the G-Man Choi and Garrett Cooper. Now, Choi decided that he would get simply no hits. I believe he only got one with the Padres. Um, 
And they said, all right, let's have a platoon at DH. Let's stop batting Matt Carpenter every day. Like, it's ridiculous that we kept doing that. Um, and then Scott Barlow, like a buy-low sort of guy. I was totally cool with that. I thought that it made sense. Um, and sometimes I don't think he gets the most credit for those between-the-lines uh, sort of moves, right? Like the little extra depth pieces um, in terms of trades. I, he's, he's made some decent ones over the years. So... I like the move. I think that De Los Santos, he's actually been really sharp before. I've watched him when he was pitching for the Guardians a couple times because the Guardians are just like, I, I don't know. I think that team's fascinating when it comes to pitching stuff. So it's possible that maybe they were able to turn him into something better. I always think about that stuff when it comes to trading for other players these days because especially when you're bringing someone to the Padres, um, always makes me nervous. That being said, maybe Ruben Niebla can work with him, figure something out. You know, both come from the Guardians now. I like the move and shedding salary is important. So getting a player in return who might have potential to be as effective, if not more, um, I think is a huge win uh, for the Padres. And we'll see what happens because part of me is also wondering, is Scott Barlow going to return to not his 2023 numbers, but 2022 and 2021 when he was one of the, one of the, the better relievers in the sport? Not elite, but like one of the better ones out there. It really feels like the Guardians are going to do that, doesn't it? So, yeah, that's a little bit annoying. So everyone brace for that. You know, don't um, – what's the word? Don't uh, – it's not – what's the word? Uh, don't get too attached. You know what I mean? Like, don't don't get too attached to this whole thing because I am very certain that they're going to bring him back to his previous norm and everyone's going to be like, of course, classic Padres, right? But at least they got something and they shedded salary and that is important because this offseason is huge. They need to make moves like that in order to potentially make bigger moves or pieces that will improve the team. Um, while still staying under that $200 million reported uh, sort of budget that they have now. Um, the next thing I quickly want to talk about is Blake Snell. And there was a little bit of pushback on him, just a little bit. One, first of all, I want to say that and this is not bad. It's just it's just an observation. It's just so fun that like when they show Garrett Colway in the sign, it's like him and his wife in like some green screen looking room. I forgot where it was. And then with Blake Snell, it's like a party. It's like everybody's there. His girlfriend's there, family's there, and they're all like, hey, like, it's exciting. I, I, I love it. I just think it's fun. Um, with Blake Snell, there was a little bit of pushback. I saw a little bit on Twitter. I saw a little bit from media people that I follow, some colleagues. Most importantly, though, I did see an article from Ken, Ken Rosenthal, former enemy of San Diego Padres fans everywhere, um, write a little bit of a, um, what's the word? Like, a little bit of a dissenting sort of vibe uh, for Blake Snell. So, I'm going to read what he wrote over at The Athletic. I didn't love Blake Snell's league-high walk rate or relatively low innings total, but his 2.25 ERA was the league's best by nearly three-quarters of an earned run, and the 19 runs he allowed over his last 23 starts was, as The Athletic's Jason Stark wrote at the end of the season, the fewest in any span of that length within a single season in the past 100 years. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. So he said, yes, I was okay. He said, my bigger problem by far was what to do with Spencer Strider, and the biggest thing that he had is he said that the ballot, in my view, was the equivalent of a trap door, all these sort of things. And then he finally kind of said that his big thing in 2018 before Snell won his first Cy Young was with the Rays, or I'm sorry, with the Rays, is that he made a plea for voters to value innings. He wasn't a Cy Young voter back there, but here, here he writes, my opinion has not changed. The more innings a starting pitcher um, work, the more valuable he is to his team, saving his bullpen, making impact beyond the day he throws. Snell's 180 innings were 36 fewer than Webb's, 30 fewer than Gallon's, and six and two-thirds fewer than Strider's. Webb and Gallon effectively threw the equivalent of five or six starts more than Snell. But again, Snell's dominance was undeniable, even mitigating his walk rate. 
Of the 99 batters Snell walked, only 12.1% of them scored. According to Stats Perform, major league, the major league rate of base runners who scored after walk was 24.5%. What I like there is he brings the point, but then also he's very also giving, being like, that is pretty crazy and whatnot. So here's my take. I do agree with Ken to an extent. Um, and this happens, and I've seen it before. The total net value of guys who are able to go six innings, seven innings consistently, be those sort of guys. I've heard this argument before. And frankly, I emphasize with it because I get so annoyed when baseball nerds are like, it's all about having a good bullpen. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Rays, uh, you know, they bring in some some guy who stinks and gets blown up when you need him most in the postseason, right? So like relievers to me, I hate um, this is my most old man opinion, dare I say, about the current state of the game. I hate the, like, you know, let's just trot out a bunch of relievers vibe of baseball. And, like, that's what matters. I was in a fantasy league one year where everybody thought that it was smart to prioritize relievers. As if for some reason it's it's more difficult to find guys who can throw one inning versus guys that throw five or six, right? So I do emphasize with the argument that people have really ignored innings the past few years. Um, and I think that that's really frustrating and really silly. Um, and don't get me wrong, I know that advanced stats people will be like, well, whatever, like, because if you replace them with this guy and then they do this because they have the velocity still up there because they're not tired. And if you just have a bunch of what, yeah, but that's so many pitchers. You know what I mean? Like at some point, like different batters, different pitchers, that should matter. What if your super reliever strategy, guys are like, cool. Like I was struggling against a starting pitcher or a different guy and you brought in this guy and I could hit him. So there's just so many more loopholes in that argument, I feel, that are predicated upon just being, dare I say, blindly adherent to the uh, statistics of relievers that we see with modern day baseball. My, my only problem though is that not many pitchers do uh, throw a lot of eggs these days. You know what I mean? You've got to have like the biggest aces in the world and that's not really the case here. Aside from like Garrett Cole, you know, and a few other guys, it's not, it doesn't seem to be like there's all that many guys that throw pretty often. And I think part of that is because of the revolution with the thinking of how we use relievers. I get it. And also the other end of that spectrum, the very, you know, the older uh, perspective is also when people are like, well, you know, back in my day, guys would go nine innings and throw 130 pitches. It's like, yeah, go look up the injury rates on those guys and go look up the fact that guys throw harder today. You know what I mean? So as a result, why do you want the guys that are testing the human limit of what an arm can do to go farther into a game when you could just have someone fresh out of the bullpen at the seventh inning? You know what I mean? Like that probably makes more sense. So again, it's a little bit of an argument. Um, I do empathize with that. The thing that I don't empathize with is when people bring up some advanced stats and, and uh, Ken did not do that here. He brought up the fact that, yeah, he walked a lot of batters, but none of them reached home, which is crazy. Now, part of that and here's the part that I disagree with, has to do with some advanced stats. Stuff like FIP, stuff like Sierra, stuff like XFIP, all that stuff, and sort of expected ERA. I do not think expected stats should be like FIP, and ex certainly XFIP, should be used for judging the Cy Young. I think it is about what you did this season. This is not a decision about who you should sign in the offseason or where is your ranking for Pantheon of pitchers right now. That is a totally different discussion. The Cy Young is commemorating the season. And if you just look at what happened in the season, Blake Snell had the lowest ERA in the sport and one of the highest strikeout rates in the sport and one of the great stretch runs in the sport that we've seen since guys like Bob Gibson, guys like Jake Arrieta, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, that's the, the thing. That argument, I do not like. I do not like using expected stats when we're judging 
regular season sort of awards. If it's like a tiebreaker, maybe, right? Like, let's say Snell had a 2.5 ERA and Justin Steele had a 2.67, right? Something like that. Again, I'm just saying numbers. Then, if you want, and then they have very similar strikeout rates, all that stuff. Then, if you want to get into the expected stats, sure. But using that as to why you want to, you think Strider deserves it, or maybe even Logan Webb, get out of here with that. I mean, in fairness, I, I don't really see too much pushback about Webb, not the most. Um, but even still, I see some. And in fairness, Logan Webb does have a stat, which is the fact that he had like an, an incredible strikeout rate and his ground ball rate was through the roof. Like, that's good if you're striking out guys and also producing ground balls because those have the least percentage chance of leaving the infield for hits. So, shouts to Logan Webb. Very good pitcher. If you want to tell me I think Logan Webb is better than Blake Snell, I'm not going to hate that argument, especially with the Padres defense that's behind him. But in terms of just what we saw, what was given up, what was given up on the scoreboard in the season you were watching, that is what you should use for determining Cy Young and for awards, frankly. Um, the rest of it, Miss me with that unless it's a tiebreaker. So that's my response to that. I'm totally fine with Ken's thinking with the innings part because I do think that that's very valuable in the season. That's not expected stats. But I don't necessarily empathize with what I've seen from some other people bringing up XFIP. What are we doing, guys? Give me a break. What's next? Xwobicon? You know what I mean? What are we doing? We're going to make up another stat? Raptor War? I know that's basketball, but still, give me a break. So that's my take on the matter. That's my take on the Potters managing uh, situation. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you disagree, feel free to leave a comment to give me your sort of perspective. I didn't talk about, actually, I'm remembering just now, um, some of the other wildcard candidates, guys like Buck Showalter, guys like, dare I say, Ozzie Gian, who reportedly the Padres were interested in, like before Melvin, back when that hiring cycle was happening. Um, and then, of course, Skip Schumacher, who recently left the Marlins. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Their GM, the first uh, female um, executive in Major League Sports history, who... Helped the team, made a lot of great trades, a lot of great moves, made the playoffs for the first time since 2003, and their manager of the year made the first playoffs for the first time since 2003. Literally just one manager of the year. They're both gone. <laughs> joke organization, joke organization. That is the antithesis of what I was saying with the Cardinals, where I worry, oh, it's a smart organization. Maybe they got rid of Schilt for a reason. With the Marlins, it's like, no, I'm totally down. for. So Schumacher, I didn't rank, but just because it hasn't been, it's only been like a fan theory, like people online who say that. But in terms of actual reports, he's not necessarily been mentioned. But uh, he's up there too for someone that I'd be interested in. Um, but yeah, everybody. That about does it for today's edition for of of the Lockdown Padres podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Tomorrow's episode, don't know what we're going to do yet necessarily for tomorrow, but this week, talking with Ulysses Sombrano about a Tyler Glasnow trade. We're going to be doing some end of season awards, probably talking about more Juan Soto trade rumors with my buddy Millard making his return uh, to the podcast for a crossover and much, much more, ladies and gentlemen, much, much more. But that, with that all being said, until next time, stay safe and of course, stay faithful, my fire faithful homies, take care.